coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. It's another edition of the Lunatic Fringe Into the Void with the fucking pilot. I am once again in the can. This time I've got another victim on the other line via Skype who has a whole lot to offer in regard to skydiving, extreme sports, and and all that goes into it. Uh, So who are you? My name is Melissa Nelson Lowe, and I'm out in Western Colorado. Western Colorado. So you're uh, you're in a bit of a chilly spot right now. Yeah, we're getting a lot of snow this season, which is great to go shred in the mountains. I'm so jealous. It's been so long since I've been on the mountain. Have you been doing a lot of skiing? My son has. I've been keeping him busy. <laughs> well, that's not too bad, though. That's good. So uh, um, the the extreme sports type of stuff seems to run in the family then, huh? I think so. <laughs> I think that's hey. fair to say. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, um, we'll get, we'll get back to the sun here in a little bit, but how did you get started in extreme sports and, and what is your sport of preference? Oh my goodness. I was born into skydiving as a third generation skydiver. And wow. My father owned a skydiving center. And when I was the ripe age of five years old in 1982, he hooked me up to a sport rig harness and took me out on a tandem. And I did about 11 tandems by the time I turned 11. And when I was 16, I did my first solo skydive. After I came home from high school one day, my dad asked me if I wanted to go (laughs) make my first solo jump. And I was like, sure, that sounds like fun. (laughs) Wow. And when I was 19, people started paying me to go to their events to bring more people And that was kind of the beginning of load organizing days. My dad used to joke around that, you know, back in the day we had to pay for our travel and pay for our jumps. And nowadays (laughs) you kids get all the good stuff. But uh, yeah, so I started out in skydiving and then I branched off into other sports. I have a P2 license in paragliding. I'm also a private pilot. I love to snowboard. I was slacklining for a little bit. And right now I am pursuing learning how to snow kite. Snow kite. Okay. I've seen a little bit of video on that. That looks intense. Yeah. I tried kite surfing and me and water just, I do not surf. I tried for the love of God. I tried. I lived in Hawaii for six years And I just do not do well with water. (laughs) And so the snow kiting, I'm like, oh, I can just put a snowboard and a parachute together. Like that makes sense to me. So I'm excited to get that going. That's really cool. I mean, because you're definitely combining two completely separate passions, but two that are already well known to you. So it's got to come relatively naturally both ways. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so that's kind of a fun little thing. I like to continue to keep learning and not get stuck. In fact, when I go and learn other sports, I feel that it just helps make me a better skydiver, which is my sport of preference for sure, hands sure. down. Sure. Well, uh, maybe you're a little bit like me. I uh, I thoroughly relish the idea of being a student, and I actually find it entertaining when I suck at something. Yeah, I you know when I started learning how to fly in the tunnel for indoor skydiving, so Oof. many people assumed that I would just jump in there and be a badass. But I was like, well, that please. doesn't happen, does it? Yeah, I'm like, please don't treat me like I know what I'm doing because I have no idea. Like I know, I know, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> yep, 
I, I think I had it even a little bit worse. Um, I started my skydiving career in a wind tunnel. I was a tunnel instructor in Las Vegas way, way back when, when it was one of the only tunnels out there. And I ended up with a couple hundred hours, but people assumed that I had all these hours in the tunnel, that if I got in what now is a modern tunnel, that I would be good at it. And I'm fucking horrible. Absolutely. I bounce off the walls and I embarrass myself and I have an amazing time doing it, but I'm terrible. I mean, the, the Wittenberg kids can fly circles around me in their sleep. I know. Those kids are incredible. It's, oh, well, that's a whole, that's a whole nother story and a whole nother podcast. I'm going to have them on to make me feel even less talented. So. <laughs> so you were born into skydiving. That's, that's not a normal thing. That's, that's very unusual. I mean, there's not too many people that can say that they were born into what still to this day is considered to be a, a pretty crazy thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a couple handful of us drop zone kids. There's a few, there's quite a few second generations, even less third generations. And we only know of two families that will have fourth generation skydivers, my family being one, because my brother just had a baby as well. And the Farringtons, I believe. Oh, wait, maybe the Jones family in Alaska. They are fourth generation. So it might be three wow. families total. Wow. And that's incredible. I mean, you're talking about uh, um, what's become a quite a large sport, but uh, it's also still kind of in its infancy, if you think about it. Yes. And every time I go to events like the Parachute Industry Association or <laughs> the International Skydiving Hall of Fame event, some of our pioneers are still living. And Isn't that amazing? If not, or they know the people who started certain things in our sport. I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm touching history right now. It's amazing. Very much so. I, you know, I had a, a really cool, unique experience way back when I started. And, and because I had the tunnel flying experience, um, I was great in free fall. I was horrible under a parachute. Uh, but I was able to put a camera helmet on my head quite early in the sport. And on my 25th jump was the first time I ever put a camera helmet on. And I, on my very first camera jump, shot video for a four-way, one of which was Lou Sanborn. Nice. So, <laughs> so my very first video was, was shot for the guy that had licensed D1, uh, and he actually bought my video, which was, <laughs> I mean, to this day, that's probably my biggest bragging right ever shooting videos in, in skydiving is that Lou Sanborn bought my first video. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> So you started out as one of very few um, kids to grow up in the sport. You did your first jump, your first jump attached to a sport rig. Yeah, <laughs> both little. Let's not even go into that. Yeah. I know <laughs> um, that's a whole can of worms. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a whole whole different thing. But so as you get older and you make your first jump on your own at 16 years old, is this something that you truly wanted to do on your own, or it was just kind of expected that because you were part of this family that you were going to be a skydiver. Yeah, my dad, as much as he did not put any pressure, there was always hints, of course. And I, gr growing up in the sport, it wasn't something that I dreamt about because even though I wasn't skydiving, my dad was also a pilot. So we'd fly a lot of different places that it was just very normal for us sure. to be around those people, that environment, just being in aviation. We knew the language it was our second language, really. So going out for my first jump, it was awesome. It was amazing. <laughs> and it gave me a sense of uh, purpose and freedom. And, you know, in your awkward teenage years, trying to figure 
life out and wrap your head around certain things that it was awesome, but it never really took with me until later on in life. So it was definitely, I didn't, I had to learn to love it. I feel. Okay. Well, which actually I think uh, that would probably make you have a greater appreciation for it. I had, uh, I had a great chance to talk to uh, Jarrett Martin, who funny enough is third generation uh, Scott ever as well. I believe his, his grandfather started, Actually, he said he didn't start in the military, but uh, uh, Jarrett started jumping super active right away, and it became his life from the get-go. Uh, and so there was no decision-making for him. He was all in. Uh, yeah, but it sounds like you put a lot more thought into it. Yeah, my brother was the same way. In fact, we would go to the drop zone, and he'll do 10, he would do like 10 to 12 jumps a day, and I would do two. And people would be like, don't you want to be like your brother? Oh, your brother's killing it. And let me tell you, my brother was naturally talented. Me, not so hmm. much. Really? <laughs> Really? Well, which is kind of funny to hear you say, because I happen to know you're the holder of uh, quite a few accolades in the sport now. I mean, uh, uh, I knew the name Melissa Nelson bef- long before you were Melissa, Melissa Nelson Lowe. And of course, um, for those that don't know, your dad was was extremely well known in the sport. And the name Nelson, really, depending on who you're talking to, is either skydiving royalty or infamy. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. Which is, it's, it, no, it really is. You know, I mean, uh, there's certain names that you hear that just inspire um, uh, this wealth of stories and, and you just expect so much out of it. And it's, it's the, the Ted Strong's and the Bill Booth's and all these names and the Lou Sanborn's and such. And, and uh, as soon as you hear Nelson, I'd imagine, especially as you were getting going, because your dad was in his heyday back then, there must've been a, a fair amount of that. Hey, how come you're not out there busting ass? Oh, definitely. And I was always compared and known as Roger's daughter and Rook's sister, which was really hard for me at the time because there was a moment where I felt like skydiving was the answer and that was my direction in life. And then the pressures just were immediate in there. It was like I couldn't get anything that I felt like I had my own identity, like just trying to, I guess, find yourself for a lack of better words. And it wasn't until I believe it was 1999 that we were hired, we being my brother, my dad and myself for a stunt. And part of the stunt was a reenactment of a woman getting knocked out. And some guy, this is before... AADs were around Mm. and some guy goes down and saves her. So I was the damsel in distress. My brother was the hero. My dad and Mike Skeffington came out to film it. And (laughs) it was out in California. And when not in the script was the girl crash landing. So I was kind of coaxed into mind you. I was young, just young and young jump numbers that Mm. I was convinced to land without flaring. And as we all know in skydiving, it's like not stopping at a stop sign when there's cars coming in in every direction. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, I pounded in. I broke my back and my wrist really good. And in the hospital, I had a very clear moment of having to make a decision of what the hell I was doing because I didn't want to be – and I might – not to – Oh, I'm just going to say this as PC as possible. I've watched a bunch of people in the sport come and go for different reasons. And I just didn't want to be a flighty young girl 
just riding on her dad's coattails. I wanted sure. to, I wanted people to know my name. And I had this vision of like, how do I start doing that? And I didn't realize it, but it was brilliant at the time of branding myself wearing the color pink because there weren't, there, there wasn't that many women in the sport. There have been many before me, but a lot of them had retired or they, they had passed on. Hmm. So that to me was standing out of the crowd. And I just started jumping my ass off and just made that decision to work hard because it wasn't very natural to me to learn. And I started getting really good. And that's when people started hiring me to jump at their places. And and that for me was the pivotal moment in, in my career that I started to fall in love with the sport. But it wasn't just a passion anymore. Anymore, It was a lifestyle and it was a way to make money. It was awesome. Sure. And I was like, screw college. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and especially to have made that decision after such a horrific accident. And for anyone that doesn't jump, the idea of uh, not just, you know, doing something again that, you know, caused such severe injury, but to make it your entire life and your passion is just unthinkable. Um, but... And that's a, that's a very difficult thing for people to understand. I, I think every skydiver at some point has that moment where they have to decide, is this who I am? Whether it's a, an accident that they themselves have, a scary experience that they have, the loss of a friend. I think all of us have to at some point go, fuck, is this what I do? Like, Do I actually do this? And as soon as that line is crossed, for, for those of us that embrace it, I don't think there's any turning back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my mom definitely questioned me because as I was sitting in the hospital bed, I woke up from sleeping and she was sitting next to me and I was like, mom, you have to order me an all pink container. And she looked at me and she was like, what? She's like, are those painkillers doing really good for you? I was like, no, mom, call right now and order me a rig. And she was like, wow. are you sure, sweetheart? Wow. <laughs> like, now you're how old? You're how old at this point? I believe I was about 19 or 20. Wow. Okay. So still super young, but already at that point where you've, you've, you've discovered this, that's, that's, I mean, that in itself is a hell of a story. Now, how did your mom feel about the jumping? Is she a jumper? No, mom is not a jumper. She did a couple of jumps. Oh my gosh. You, you got to have her on the podcast, give her a couple <laughs> glasses of wine. And she has some pretty epic stories of her first jumps. And it, in fact, they were so, so extraordinary, but not in a fun way that I realized why she did not fall in love with the sport. <laughs> in fact, it, knowing my mom's story and knowing how I grew up in the sport helped me help shape me who I was as a skydiving instructor, because I realized a lot of information was not being passed. And I realized being a female in the sport, or a lot of bad information was passed to me. So I wanted to be a source of good information for men and women and someone you can kind of trust, you know, because sure. I know a lot of old school skydiving, there's some residuals of just shit talking and being condescending and bullying type. And I just never resonated with that, even though I grew up with that. Sure. Uh, what, what I really liked is the camaraderie and sharing the stories. And what I loved is in skydiving, you need other people to do cool shit. So yeah. you become, you, you just develop this brother and sisterhood that you just cannot compare to anything else because, you know, we live hard 
we play hard and we lose hard and no one understands that unless you're in the sport. Oh, I completely agree. And I, I can't really speak for other extreme sports. I've, I mean, I, I used to do dabble here and there, but the only one that I've ever been fully immersed in is obviously skydiving. And it's it, you cannot explain to someone that's not in it. And I liken it to the whole uh, band of brothers military mentality that you put, your th- you put yourself in situations um, that are extreme in every way and dangerous. And, and no matter how safe this sport is, it is still dangerous and we all know it. Um, I don't think you can have a bond that's tighter when you've gone out and done this thing day after day and jump after jump with these groups of people and, you know, like them, love them or hate them. I respect every skydiver out there because they're the only ones I really understand. And I know they understand me, even if they don't like me. Yep, exactly. Which is amazing. I mean, that's, I don't know that many different groups of people that, that can have that mentality, which is, um, one of the things that's kept me in it for, you know, going on 24 years and everybody that I've talked to on the podcast all falls back to the same thing. And they say that the biggest draw to skydiving is the community, you know, as fun as the jumps are as amazing as, as the experiences are, it's the people that drive the sport. Yep, absolutely. Well, so you, you, uh, you're pushing through at a time in the sport when there weren't that many women. Um, now you're, you're at the forefront of it at an extremely young age. Um, I I have a daughter myself and and I used to jokingly say when people would ask me if I would let her jump when she was younger, I would always say, absolutely. I'll let her jump as long as she doesn't have to go to a fucking drop zone to do it. Um, see, and you laugh because you understand absolutely what I mean. This is, I'm, this is generations before any Me Too movement was going on and behavior on a drop zone, although acceptable to skydivers was unheard of in the real world. That must've been kind of tough too, because now you're taking on a position of power and you're teaching people and you're trying to kind of blaze a trail at the time when behavior with skydivers even now is let's say slightly substandard behind the whole me too type of thing. Yeah. And you know, I've never been able to stand behind any me too stuff or, and I don't relate to a lot of women in the sport because I have had such an incredibly different experience than everyone is because everyone on the drop zone had the fear of God of my father. (laughs) I, did not know this at the time, but he definitely made sure that people did not mess with me. So I pretty much was given the golden brick road. And if I wanted to choose to go down it, I had the opportunity. And what a great opportunity my dad gave me because I was able to trailblaze and not feel like, and and you know what, still to this day, even though my dad has been gone for about 15 years, I still feel safer in skydiving than I do anywhere else in life. Isn't that funny? Well, you know, I've actually taken a little bit of flack for some of the articles that I've written for Blue Skies because a lot of them are relatively off color and and, uh, they're very, you know, bonfire oriented. I kind of say it like I think it is. And uh, um, skydivers, like you said, do everything hard. And that is up to and including flirting and doing all of this stuff. And uh, it's not that I don't understand the the whole Me Too movement on the global scale and the way things are in the real world. But in the drop zone, women are just as inappropriate as men, if not more so sometimes, because it's generally always in good fun. It's, yeah. and, and not always. I know that it goes bad sometimes. And I've, I've had women come to me specifically because of articles that I wrote that that uh, um, told me that I was not uh, um, 
getting the whole perspective. And so I try to be a lot wiser to that than I have been. But my personal experience has always been that it's it's 100% equal. I have never looked at a female skydiver and thought anything other than that's another skydiver. Yeah. And the sport of skydiving is also different because women have an opportunity to be as good, if not better than men. So we have a completely different, I don't know, I I have a completely different outlook and, and I'm not trying to discount because I know there have been some really incredibly inappropriate situations on the drop zone. I mean, but it's life and it's everywhere in life. I just feel that, you know, having my dad on my, on my side and just kind of, I was pretty sassy and Hmm. outspoken. So I just, (laughs) I don't know. Able to put people online or what? Sure. Well, between having Roger behind you and then uh, already standing on your own two feet, sounds like you definitely had things (laughs) well in hand, which is good. And for those that don't know, um, that might not know the name, Roger Nelson might not know the history behind it. How is it he was able to put such a fear of uh, himself into people around there? I mean, I know who he was, but if you don't know, who who was Roger Nelson? Well, he was definitely one of the, oh my gosh, he was such a charismatic person who was a pioneer in our sport, but he wasn't a pioneer by the means of playing nice with others. (laughs) (laughs) He was kind of a brute and did it his own way, which was fine because I I now seen objectively and sitting where I'm at right now, I see the sport kind of needed to have a push because we were stuck and a lot of old ideas. My, For example, my dad wanted to put um, round, or, uh, square mains for students, and the industry said, no, that's dangerous. Well, my dad said, screw you. I'm going to create my own organization <laughs> and do it my way. So he did, awesome. and now it's industry standard. And then he wanted to put square mains I'm sorry, square reserves for students. The industry said, no way, that's dangerous. My dad said, well, I have my own organization, so I'm going to do it my own way. And he (laughs) did. And now it's still industry standard. And there's a whole list of stuff on his resume. I can go on and on about all the things that he created, but he saw something bigger than what our industry could see. And he could see into the future and he embraced change, which is something that I definitely try to emulate myself and not being stagnant, always seeing what's next and continuing to evolve and and not be static because I think that's one of the beautiful things about our sport because it's hard to get bored. There's sure. so much new things to learn. We have disciplines that continue to be created and evolve in their own. And like you said in the beginning, it's because our sport is so young. So yes, we're not in the age of discovery, but in the sport of skydiving, we're still discovering. And I think that's so cool to be a part of that movement. Absolutely. Well, and to have someone like him that was able to push at a time when pushing was not particularly acceptable, I I think uh, especially nowadays we're so caught up in this PC movement that it's so refreshing to hear about people that just didn't give a fuck. No, I'm going to do it this way. This is how I see it. This is how it has to be done. Screw you and your feelings. And what do you know? He was right, which is awesome. Yeah. And the other thing that made him so well known in the sport is that he was a big time drug smuggler. <laughs> <laughs> yep. that's a, yeah, that's a story. We definitely got to 
definitely got a few questions about that now. Actually, I was I was going to be a little bit more sly with the segue into that, but all right, we're, we're there. So so you started out in, uh, um, a while back and you wrote um, a book called Sugar Alpha that um, was posthumously working with your father. It was something that he had started and it was all about this drug smuggling career, correct? Yep. And there's a follow-up book to that called Charlie Bravo that I also published. So I, my dad had written his book when he was in prison and he spent about four and a half years of a 10 year sentence in Rochester, Minnesota, serving his time. And during that time, he wrote a book about his tell all book of everything that he did. He was a big pioneer in that trade as well. Sure. But I'm going to leave that open-ended so you'll buy the book. <laughs> I did. I absolutely did. And, and, and we're going to tell every damn buddy to go buy the book. You know, it's it's funny. And, and coming from me, I, I'm sure it's very stereotypical. And I guarantee you've heard it from every damn jump pilot that's out there, especially ones that are my age. It is very easy for me to romanticize every single page of that book because, you know, when he was doing what he was doing, I was around, you know, I remember the the days when this was going on. And I remember the, the just say no campaigns with the Reagans. Meanwhile, your dad is is doing all his craziness, which is amazing. Um, and you know, all of that stuff is happening then. And now, of course, as I get older, we're watching movies like Blow and we're watching movies like American Made. And here I am, a jump pilot that decided to say fuck it to the airline industry. So, of course, I think, you know, your dad's story is ridiculously romantic. But it had to be a bit different for you because at some point, your dad, your dad went to prison. That's yeah. got to be that's got to be fucking tough for a kid to to cope with. No matter how cool dad is, dad went to jail. I mean, how did you handle that? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. A lot of people don't really see that perspective because a lot of people think, or maybe the movies are kind of help giving a little bit of insight to see what families go through. Because my dad lived three different lives. He hmm. was a drug smuggler, big time drug smuggler, very similar to American Made. He hmm. was a pioneering skydiver and he was everything in between. So if he, trying to be a friend and a family member and a father, kind of fit all in that third life of his. And it was, I mean, I know what it's like to juggle a lot of different things and you can only be so good at so many things because there's only so much time in the day. So sure. oftentimes the family was neglected so he could make sure that all these other operations were running smoothly <laughs> and that he didn't get, go to jail or try sure. to save his butt, which I totally understand. But as a you know, some people looking um, from the outside, they think that it was like this really crazy rock star, glamorous lifestyle, jet setting around the world and skydiving and stuff. And yeah, that stuff was great. In fact, that stuff it was the saving grace in my life because it was a very dark space and not very happy. In fact, I've been being a little bit more open about that just because you know, when we were growing up, all this stuff was a very secret part of our lives. And sure. we were very much like a family on stage. Like, you know, we get to the drop zone, we're all smiling happy. But, you know, and then inside the car, we're just like quiet and don't talk and don't say anything and just having very surface level conversations. But inside, I was dying because 
I, I felt like I was crazy. I had childhood depression and I did not even know. Nobody knew what that was right. back then. And skydiving in the community really lifted me up because it was happy and people were having fun and it was exciting in a whole nother way. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really tough. And I, I'm actually doing a TED talk in a couple of weeks where I'm really getting an opportunity to share this part of my life, which, uh, which is nerve wracking and exciting. I, bet. I mean, that's, that's, that's opening up some really personal stuff. And I mean, it, and I, I won't dig too much because obviously if people are going to be listening to the Ted talk, I want there to be a lot of fresh stuff there. But, um, at what age did you know dad was up to something sneaky? You know, it was never really forthright. My parents never really said what was happening. However, I remember since the first grade, cops coming to our front door, questioning my dad, and we would always go to the other room. My mom did a really phenomenal job trying to keep us out of the public spotlight. So we weren't in all the newspapers during the indictment period. My mom made sure that when they were doing indictments, my brother and I went to friends' houses, so we weren't um, bombarded and questioned. And, you know, kids, you never know what kids are going to say. So my dad drilled in us not to say anything to anyone about anything. And, wow. But it was just, you're, you're kind of like, this is what you grow up with, and this is what is normal. So trying to feel safe, um, trying to... Uh, my mom was really good about this as well as making sure that we had a um, consistent upbringing being that we stayed in the same house growing up and we went to the same school. And um, I think that was so good on her part and so smart because everything else in my life felt like chaos and sure. having some consistency helped build somewhat of a foundation and, um, and again, going back to the skydiving community, because I grew up in it, it was the people that we felt safe around. And then we knew that we knew we could just be ourselves, if you will. Everyone sure. everywhere else that we went, including school and school sucked because I wasn't known <laughs> as the girl whose dad was a skydiver. I was known as the girl whose dad was a convicted felon. Wow. That's got to be fucking tough. That's got to be, I mean, it, I, I think it would be hard enough to be known as the girl whose dad was the crazy skydiver. But, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you remember back then, skydiving was not mainstream and it was not cool. So no. We, we were outcast in every meaning of that definition. Absolutely. I mean, this was before the t-shirt when skydiving was dangerous and sex was safe. <laughs> this is <laughs> before then, you know, I mean, so no, I, I, I figure with e either handle, you're going to have a bit of a rough time and kids are assholes anyway. Uh, so that had to be tough to deal with on its own. But yeah, the, the convicted felon uh, drug dealer. Now, was that part known to these other kids? Did they know what he was convicted of? Oh, yeah, because it was all in the newspapers. I mean, we lived in a small town, so everybody knew everything. So I didn't really have many friends, and I didn't know how to have friends because I didn't know how to not say something I wasn't supposed to. I was so <laughs> scared of, like, slipping slipping up or whatever that, I mean, I had one friend, like, growing up, and I had lots right. of friends in skydiving. Yeah, now, so did you fall into the same thing that a lot of the kids in skydiving do and that you ended up with friends that were drastically older than you and treated you as if you were the same age as them? Yeah, it was great. It was awesome because I didn't have to feel like 
a, a little girl and the insecurities that I had outside of skydiving would just totally fade away. And it sure. made me feel accepted and normal. And it is, it has always been like that for me. Which is really funny considering you had to walk away from what people consider normal life and go to where all the crazies hang out to feel safe and normal <laughs> and accepted. Yeah, but <laughs> on the outside, people see us as crazy. But when you're when you get to know this, you know, our community, you show up time after time after time after time and you realize we're really not that crazy. We're just no. really honest people. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's always been one of the funniest things. And, and of course, people have this preconceived notion of skydivers or anyone in extreme sports. And they think we're a little bit crazy. And and you're labeled as a bit, a bit of a nutcase, but a bit of a badass. And I've honestly never done anything to discourage that because at the end of the day, I'm a guy and it got me laid. Uh, so yeah, sure. I'm the crazy guy that likes to go jump out of airplanes. What people never really understood was for the most part, you will never meet a more safety conscious group of people ever, because for us, safety is not just a, an afterthought. It's a moment to moment life or death thing. You know, we have to be that way and people don't get that. And they also don't understand the, the parties afterwards around the bonfire and how crazy things can get. And that, I suppose, is where they're right. That is where we are a little bit nuts. <laughs> yeah, the, I, absolutely. And, you know, I had a really good friend explain this to me. Her husband is a, is in motocross. And, mm. you know, a lot of people see motocross as super crazy. But for her, she would go and watch him and how meticulous he is um, tinkering with his you know, motorcycle and all the equipment that goes around to keep them safe and the riding. And I'm like, yes, that is exactly like skydiving. And I'm like, no wonder why I like you so much because she got it. Like she did not see me as a crazy person. She's like, oh, I bet it's the same thing as motocross as you guys do with your parachute stuff. I'm like, absolutely. Sure. Well, and I see more and more, um, and this is absolutely 100% because of social media and the internet now, um, extreme sports are what you see almost everywhere. I mean, how many times do you open up Facebook or Instagram and without even going to a specific search, you see someone flying down a mountain, you yep. see someone uh, doing a crazy BMX jump or going balls out down the hill on a, a bike and all these different crazy things. And so now, um, finally, the extreme sports community is, is being examined a lot more than they ever have been before. And they're figuring out, no, they're not that nuts. Um, but uh, skydiving more than any other that I have any experience with has a tighter community, at least in my opinion. Um, I, you know, you hear stories of surfers that get in fights because someone, you know, went on their break, uh, and stole their wave and did this and that. I've never, not once have I ever seen somebody get pissed off because so-and-so was on the plane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. More so, people I mean to come and play. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's some of that in skydiving for sure. I mean, on, on a very petty level, but in skydiving, we need each other. And that's something that I think is so cool. And here's another thing that I love about the sport of skydiving that people don't realize is that we start to develop a part that we don't normally use in our day-to-day -day life is controlling that crazy dialogue in your head about, oh my God, I'm jumping out of an airplane. Like the more times you do it, you start to take control of that conversation and it shifts 
and it's psychological, it's physiological. And the one thing that I really incorporate in my skydiving is breathing. And Mm. within my journey, I became a yoga instructor about 11 years ago because I wanted to learn more about breath work. And that's what yogis do. And so I started bringing that into skydiving. And what happens when you're able to control that adrenaline and take deep breaths, you're still getting all the oxygen in your brain. You're able to think clearly because that's the stuff. Oh man, I have no idea why, but I get so geeked out on it, especially when I'm learning other sports, because I take all of the knowledge that I've learned in skydiving and apply it to these other things. And it's all the same thing. And how how many, how many times do we say, Oh, skydiving is 90% mental and 10% physical. But in our sport, we always teach the technical stuff and we never get into the mindset of what were you thinking? And do you have other things going on in your life? Well, let's see if we can start shifting those gears, slowing things down. And instead of that dialogue, just focus on your breath. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. Overcoming that that fear factor is something that cannot be underrated. And it it does absolutely um, assist in every facet of life. I'd got my pilot's license when I was a kid, but I didn't start actually flying actively until I'd been a skydiver for many years. And uh, obviously throughout the following years, I've had more than my fair share of scary experiences in a plane, none of which would I have handled anywhere near as well as I did had I not had all this experience in skydiving of overcoming fear and learning how to just keep my shit together. Uh, And I know that there's a lot of physiological stuff that's going on as well, most of which is with breathing. It's one of the reasons that they tell you to breathe a certain way in in, uh, situations that are stressful because you trick your mind into believing that everything's okay. You breathe mm-hmm. and your brain goes, okay, I can turn off this fight or flight that makes me want to jump through the propeller just to get the fuck out of this plane. <laughs> and you get to just calm down. And that's something that most people will never learn how to do. And here's the other phenomenal part about that is that you go into automatic pilot of all of your training that leads you up to that. And so things happen by instinct. You're not even thinking the mechanical parts are of, I'm like, oh, well, I need a feather of the engines or whatever, or, you know, I need to flare my parachute or whatever the situation may be. I mean, I've been in some pretty uh, hairy situations in skydiving too. And I just reverted back. There was one situation where I was on landing and a big gust of wind came and collapsed on the right side of my canopy. And I only saw my shadow and my only mindset was just keep flying, just keep flying, just keep Mm -hmm. flying. And I wasn't thinking about how I should hold my hands or what's the best, you know, rate of descent for this. (laughs) Sure. Just thinking, just keep flying. And then my canopy snapped back up and I landed on my feet, tiptoe soft. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and that's this, it's even the same when it's not in an emergency situation in regard to skydiving. If you're flying head down, and for those that don't know what that is, your orientation is so the ground all of a sudden is up instead of down. And it's at very high speeds. And when you're learning how to do that, you're trying to think, okay, I need to put my legs here and I need to put my arms here and I need to look this way and that way. And it eventually just becomes go there, mm-hmm. which is the most amazing thing. And it becomes absolutely automatic and even more so with emergency situations for sure yep Yep, exactly pretty amazing stuff it really is 
So now you've gone on in skydiving to uh, uh, not just make a name for yourself, being able to go out and do load organizing and all this stuff and all the instruction that you've done. Uh, you've set uh, quite a few records at this point, haven't you? Yeah, I have 23 world records and I have three <laughs> scheduled for next year. I'm very actively involved in the women's vertical world record and the vertical sequential world record. That one is a co-ed event. And my co-organizer for the vertical sequentials is Matt Fry. And he and I just set out after our last record to rewrite the rules because the rules were not applicable for our disciplines. So he did all the technical writing and I did the all the other behind the scenes to get on the agenda and that it got into the right hands. And we just had all of our new rules passed just a couple of weeks ago. So we're really excited about that. Awesome. And yeah, so a lot of there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff in skydiving and I, I appreciate my dad giving me that insight that not everything is just jumping out of airplanes. There's a lot more that goes into that moment that makes it happen. So, you know, being able to rewrite rules or if I'm, you know, doing event organizing where I'm on the ground, for example, I helped my brother for the 2016 Mondial being a sponsorship liaison, which um, helped him run a really fantastic event. But it's all those little things that we can do in our sport that keeps pushing us forward and makes those great little moments um, accessible to everybody. Absolutely. And the, the records and, the, and the, the pushing for all these amazing things that you're doing also drives a lot of people to either get into the sport or want more out of the sport. So you you said you're you're shooting for two different records, one of which is going to be a sequential head down world record. Explain that to me. How many people are you shooting for, and what does sequential mean? So we are all in the head down orientation, flying head to earth, and we create we link up, creating a flower shaped pattern. And per the rules, we release certain grips, which is a link between one person and the other, and we rebuild a new formation. So we're building, and each formation is called a point, and we build them in sequence. And because we're so clever with our, our uh, vocabulary, <laughs> we call it sequentials. <laughs> so, so we're building points in sequence. And right now, let's see, we did... Oh my gosh, I can't even remember. It was so much work. I think we did a 2.3.44 way in Chicago last year. And yeah, that's it's this is a new new category of world records. And this one really was spawned because the largest formation skydives are getting a lot harder and harder to to put together because there's so many logistics involved and so many expenses involved to make some things like that happen where the stars have to align where you get the right aircraft and the right location because airspace is crucial. You have to have a place that you can land all these people. So sequentials allows us to go back to smaller numbers, but still have an opportunity to, you know, complete some things that have never been done before. Sure. Well, the large records, especially the belly records, have gotten so big that it's almost impossible to find not a place, but a country that can even sponsor this and use aircraft to get that many people out of the airplane. Yeah, it's not impossible. But here's the thing in skydiving is that we don't make a lot of money. <laughs> so you've got to be incredibly determined and passionate and just, you know, set on that 
to pursue those ideas to get them going because it's a lot of time and money involved. So yeah, sometimes we have to be creative and that's the cool thing about our sport. It continues to grow and evolve and we're discovering these new categories that we can do and be a part of and we can find new leaders in our sport that take over the reins of these certain um, categories, which is really cool because we're seeing wingsuiting evolve. We're seeing canopy piloting continue to evolve. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. I just love our sport because of that. Well, and one of the greatest things about it too, is usually with the passing of the torch, um, there's almost a, a, a sad negative connotation to that, but, uh, uh, with skydiving, I don't see that at all. Um, for me, watching uh, kids like the Wittenbergs that are doing things naturally to them that I, it, they've gotten so good now that it used to be I could watch a tunnel routine and at least know what they were doing, but not be able to do it myself. But it's finally gotten to the point where I watch the Wittenbergs fly and I don't know how the fuck they just made what they did happen. <laughs> It's insane. I can't, and I've slowed them down and tried to break it down. What did, they didn't move anything. How did they do that? And instead of being upset by it, I'm thrilled by it and uh, thrilled to know that there's, it's gone so much further that we're going to see things, you know, in our time in the sport that are so far above and beyond anything we would have imagined back in the day that it's just wonderful. So the passing of the torch is very exciting. Yeah, it is very exciting. It really is. Now, speaking of that, um, you've gone on and done all these different things and you've spent an entire life jumping out of airplanes and obviously definitely a rocky road um, family wise and getting started and, and these these crazy events that uh, that followed you throughout your life. But now you're a mom and you're kind of on the other side of the fence. So how is it now that the tables have turned and you're the parents, have you got kids that are interested in skydiving? Is this something that they want? Are you hoping they'll go that direction? So my son is about to turn five this year and that's the age I was when I made my first jump. So that was kind of my boundary age. And my husband, he's got a really awesome business out here and it's great because he's he's able to introduce kids to the sport that otherwise might not have the opportunity. And what he has done and what we have seen as a result is that kids have so much more confidence at school and they feel accomplished and they feel like badass kids. And sure. their parents have seen a lot of positive um, changes in their kids because of that. And it's, oh my gosh, it is. I know that because I was one of those kids before and it's so taboo that, you know, thinking of kids and, you know, they do it all around the world, but here it's just so different and it's just what we know. And so again, just like my dad, you're throwing, throwing stuff. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Well, and, and I, I, I used to not really be torn in regard to uh, uh, younger kids making jumps. I, I never really thought one way or the other until I went to work in New Zealand. I took a break from flying for a while. Uh, and uh, decided to go chuck drugs on the beach out there. And in New Zealand, they have no age limit. Uh, so I ended up taking an eight-year-old on a skydive, and I was terrified. Uh, he, the, he couldn't have cared less. I think he would have rather been on the ground playing with his Hot Wheels, to be perfectly honest. I was freaking out taking this kid because it was just coming from the States and coming from where putting any kid in harm's way anymore is completely taboo and unacceptable. And you've got to basically wrap your kids in bubble wrap anymore. Um, mm -hmm. that, uh, to take this eight year old on a skydive just 
had me on edge. And of course it worked out just fine. Um, but I mean, I, th- I threw the drogue and, and instead of having my arms out to fly, I wrapped my arms around him and flew with my legs the whole time. Cause I was terrified. <laughs> um, that for me was just so alien coming from, you know, the States, which has its rules and its lawsuits and all this, um, as a mom though, um, for your kids, where does the danger level s- settle in? Um, you know, this, this, at the end of the day, this is not just hopping on a skateboard or riding a bicycle. There's dire consequences to skydiving. So how do you feel about that? There's dire con- consequences to a lot of different things. And we know that as skydivers and, you know, if my son wants to jump at, you know, he turns five this year, if he wants to jump this year, we'll let him. And he's, you know, just went to my brother's wedding about a month ago And he went up to my brother and he said, Uncle Rook, will you be on my skydive for my birthday? I was like, okay, he's load organizing already. Awesome. (laughs) That is awesome. Like, all right, just let me know what load I'm on. (laughs) So it'll be the next generation of of kids to take over. That's fantastic. I mean, I think it's fantastic. Although any non-skydiving moms that heard that probably just fainted. (laughs) yeah but i mean how young do people start their kids skiing i mean we had our little one out on skis when he was three and that could be as equally as dangerous i mean kids are on skateboards i mean hell people just let their kids just go roam around and not really have much supervision i mean sure i I think it's all relative and being in the sport and knowing how meticulous and thorough experienced my husband is I, I feel like that, I mean, and I'm not, and I'm not going to be naive and say nothing can happen to them or me, but I, I really feel that we have a lot of risks managed. Well, sure. Absolutely. Well, and I, I look back at my own childhood and I was lucky enough as were you to, to grow up at a time when, um, everyone wasn't so focused on, oh my God, don't let them do anything dangerous. Does he have his helmet and pads and this and that? Oh my, no. I mean, I was, I had German shepherds dragging me at mock speed on a skateboard and slamming into metal poles that were on the concrete playground of my school. Yeah. That and was I was the, being dragged behind cars with a string and a skateboard and I've, I've got scars on my knees to prove from falling and we didn't absolutely. have pads and helmets and all that. And, <laughs> and somehow we managed to come through the other side doing pretty good. So I'm in complete agreement with you. I think that somehow, and I don't know how it happened because it's our generation that did it, but somehow a fair amount of us turned into complete pussies in, <laughs> in respect to our kids. And I, 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 my daughter's gone on a couple of skydives. Um, one, the, her very first one, I was flying the plane, not because I didn't want to be on the jump, but because I wanted it to be her experience. Um, yeah. so when she came to visit me, I made damn sure she jumped with the most handsome instructor because that's <laughs> the experience you're supposed to have. And I didn't want it to be about, I went with dad to do this. I wanted it to be, I did this amazing thing. Mm-hmm. Now on the next jump, I went and did the jump and I, I won't lie and say that seeing my kid in free fall didn't at least, you know, prick the hair up on the back of my neck just a little bit, but I trusted the sport. I trusted the equipment. I trusted the instructor and I saw the look on her face and that was really all that mattered at that point. Yeah. I also think about when my dad took me when I was young, I mean, the equipment and technology isn't as far along as it is now. So we also have that on our side as well. Oh yeah. And technology, my goodness is leaps and bounds. 
and just improving dramatically every day. The, the canopy that I fly now is not only dramatically better, more high performance, uh, but a shitload smaller than anything I ever thought I would fly. And it's a safer parachute than the ones that were drastically bigger that I began flying, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. <laughs> I love it. I'm still, I, I'm getting close to the age where the parachutes are going to have to start getting bigger just to save my peace of mind. <laughs> my reactions aren't quite what they used to be. So you got the two books out. You got uh, um, the TED Talk coming up. Oh, what else is coming up for you? Well, I also have my own yoga studio where we live. So we are putting together a teacher training syllabus. So we become a yoga school, which is pretty awesome. And I have a great team that works for me. So I have that. And I also work for a nonprofit a branch off of the city called the Downtown Development Authority, where I'm connecting with all the business owners because I create, all right, the DDA helps create a unified voice for all the business owners, which I'm going around right now connecting with everybody, which is, you know, it's awesome. I feel like I'm load organizing the downtown. <laughs> sure. Well, and it's got to be fun too, especially because you're still very deep into the sport and, and uh, obviously still well connected with your roots, but you've got so much more on top of that. It's got to be a pretty fulfilled life, but when the fuck do you sleep? <laughs> I don't sleep. Fair enough. Well, with a five-year-old and all that. <laughs> Oh so my now, gosh. <laughs> yeah. you, you said your husband's got a successful business. That's a drop zone, yes? Yes. And, it and is which drop zone is this? It's Ultimate Skydiving Adventures in Delta, Colorado. Oh, that's got to be stunning. Yeah, it is pretty amazing. And he does a phenomenal job. And he is going into his third season. And last year, he doubled his numbers. So we're hoping to even go bigger this year. And he's also building out a food truck called don't be a weenie <laughs> <laughs> nice so yeah nice. We're, we're we're active people so now you're you're a relatively recent transplant to colorado though yeah yeah we've been here for a year and it's the first place since i've left you know my original home in the chicago area that i feel like i'm at home nice and now is that where you and your husband met no, Ben and I met in 2010 at Summerfest at Skydive Chicago. Okay. And I saw him, I was hosting a women's vertical world record camp, and I saw him walk across the hangar, and I was like, ladies, come here, huddle up, huddle up. I was like, who is that guy <laughs> right there? Awesome. I need details, stat. <laughs> awesome. And I kind of cyber stalked him, but who doesn't? Don't judge me. No, and no. <laughs> I saw him at another event I was load organizing that year. And like I said, I'm pretty open and honest these days that, you know, I think it w- I can't remember if we were going up on a load or something. And I just like whispered over to him, I'm like, I have a crush on you. <laughs> awesome. That's, that's one of the coolest things about the, uh, not just women, but skydivers in general is you grow balls that you never thought you had and you just do it. You just do it. Fuck it. What's the worst that's going to happen, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so I took a chance and awesome. he, and ended up in a marriage proposal and a baby. Wow. Wow. Now, was there ever any chance you were going to end up with a non-skydiver? 
You know, it's interesting. I had someone in my life really question me about, you know, she had asked me what I wanted in a man and what I was really looking for. And, you know, I, I said all my things and I'm like, oh, and they have to be a skydiver. And she looked at me and she tilts her head and she goes, don't you think you're limiting yourself in the world? And I look at her and I said, no one in the world will understand me better and if they're not a skydiver, it's just not going to work. <laughs> wow, wow. See, now, I actually took a slightly different tack than you for exactly the same reasons. I stopped dating skydivers because they understand me way too well. <laughs> That's exactly why I stopped. No, I can't handle this. I can't get anything by any skydiver. They understand way too well. They get it. They can see this shit coming from a mile away. I can't date skydivers. <laughs> It's, yeah, I just liked it because we speak the same language and it's where I grew up and I didn't want to have to explain my language or what we were doing. I didn't want to have some, I mean, I dated skydivers pretty much my whole life. And I even had one skydiving boyfriend that said, you know, you spend a lot of time skydiving, you know, you're going to have to choose skydiving or me. And I raised an eyebrow going, well, that was dumb. Yeah. Not <laughs> a good way to go. Like I broke up right then and there. I'm like, not oh. a good way to go. Yeah. yeah I talked to uh, a couple of canopy pilots, uh, Cornelia Mihai, who of course has won a couple world records or set a couple of world records and Olga Nemova, who's an up and coming super as well. And both of them said the same thing. They're like, who else can understand the passion that we have for something like this, but yeah. another skydiver. And it's very difficult to explain to a non-jumper. Yeah. So I've got the weekend off, so I'm going to go back to work. They yeah. don't get, they don't get it. And even now um, I, I am very much just a, a lazy fun jumper. I am a fair weather skydiver anymore because I spend all my time flying uh, but even I, on a day off, will go out and make a couple jumps. And people that aren't in the sport have a very difficult time understanding that you can have such love for something you do all the time that you're willing to give up what little time you have to yourself to go do it more. Yeah. Pretty yeah. tough to explain to people. They don't get it's it. so tough. And, you know, the other thing, too, is being able to have children and raise them in the sport because, you know, a lot of outsiders do see it as outcasts still and crazy and extreme that I wanted to be able to have someone that I could share this with and not feel crazy, you know. And it's cool because my husband, you know, has a little Cessna drop zone and it reminds me of how I grew up. And it's very nostalgic and it brings back a lot of really good memories. And I love I love that we can offer that to our son as well. Oh, absolutely. Well, and it's such a, it really is just such an amazing community and an amazing sport. Uh, even if he grows up and decides he doesn't want to be a skydiver, he's still in such an incredible community and a giving community. It's, yep. I, I don't think you could go wrong. Yep, absolutely. So, so this TED Talk you got coming up, is this only a live thing or is there somewhere people can go to stream it or watch it online or? So TED, it's a TEDx event and TEDx hosts submit all the footage to TED. And if the big corporation TED says that it's worth sharing with the rest of the world, it'll be available probably on YouTube and it'll be shared across the globe. So hopefully they'll think it's worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. Well, if they decide that they don't want uh, to give it the whole global thing, then you got to come back on with me and give the entire talk over again. I'll just sit on my side and keep my mouth shut. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah. 
So um, anywhere else that people can go and, and find out about the Husband's Drop Zone, find out about your yoga studio, check out pictures and video of, of your skydiving and all these world's records. Are there Instagram, Facebook, um, websites? Where should they go? So I'm pretty private on social media. I only try to add people that I know or that I've worked with or jumped with at least. But if you want to find out about my husband's drop zone, it's ultimateskydivingadventures.com. And the yoga studio is coloradoyogahouse.com. All right. Fantastic. So a couple of great ways to uh, kind of dive into the sport. And, and obviously, uh, you can let me know as things come up with this TED Talk. And I will happily uh, fill people in on where to go and how to check it out. Uh, it has been absolutely fantastic talking to you. I, I can't thank you more for, for giving me some time. Yeah, it's great to catch up with you as well. Have a great time. Uh, get out there and enjoy the snow while it's uh, snowing. And of course, uh, when it's time again, enjoy the blue skies. Sounds good. Bye. Take care. Now, as well as checking out uh, the drop zone out there in Colorado, as well as looking for these future world's records, whether it be the sequential or whatever other craziness comes up, don't forget, you need to hop onto Amazon.com to check out both the books Melissa's written. That's going to be Charlie Bravo. Charlie Bravo is the second book that she wrote, uh, which followed up Sugar Alpha, both tales of Mr. Roger Nelson, professional skydiver, pioneer in the sport, and uh, for all intents and purposes, one fucking hell of a smuggler. Uh, for me, you're going to want to go out and check out uh, my Instagram page. It is under the Princess Pilot. It doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't suit their purposes to have me saying fucking all the time. So the Princess Pilot it is. On Facebook, I run a page called the fucking pilot as well. But to get to it, you need to go to the effin pilot. That's E-F-F-I-N pilot. And, of course, my website, thefuckingpilot.net. With all those fuckings, there's never any G. Uh, also, uh, I happen to have written a couple of books myself, both of which you can check out on Amazon, both uh, one for Blue Skies Magazine, which is a, a book of previously published articles for Blue Skies Magazine called The Fucking Pilot Book, and the other one called The Accidental Stripper, uh, both of which you can find on Amazon anytime. Pick up a digital copy, pick up a written copy, and uh, if I can actually manage to get through it, you'll even have an audio book coming up. Once again, this has been the Lunatic Fringe Into the Void with the fucking pilot. That was Melissa Nelson Lowe, and we will see you next time around. Blue Skies.